Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven people, companies, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. The purpose of holistic wellness is to treat the whole mind, body, and spirit as one entity. It's rooted in the understanding that our physical, spiritual, mental, and social needs affect our overall health, and being unwell in one aspect affects us in others. My guest today, founder of For Them, Chloe Freeman, is creating a whole new category of holistic wellness that specifically caters to the gender diverse community. By making products and services designed for the community, by the community, For Them is redefining what it means to be well for the person, for the collective, and of course, the planet. Chloe, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for having me. So, you are a person of many, many skills and interests and talents. You studied math and finance at University of Leeds, and then you went into acting. I believe you're still an actor, and we could talk about that in a sec. And then you went into the wellness industry. And you know our listeners don't know this unless they look you up, but you're also a very young person. Um, so <laughs> you've done a lot. You're wise beyond your years. Just let's talk a little bit about that journey. And I suspect, and I believe that you're still an actor, you're still part of the arts. At the same time, you're also this badass entrepreneur, which is really, really cool. And a very humble person too, which I might add. So let's just start there. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that I'm multi-talented. You can also say that I don't know what I'm doing, I suppose. <laughs> I've shifted. <laughs> I've never, shifted a never. lot in my life. But yeah, I did math at university, math and finance. You know, I love math. I still love math. It feels so simple to me, right? There's sort of a right or wrong answer. And that was always very clear as I as I went through school and so I thought this is the perfect thing to do because you know you work hard you get the answer right hopefully and then you move on and it felt like a very clean cut sort of way to continue my education and then it sort of catapulted me into a job with PwC I did a bit of an accounting sort of role and I worked in deals and a few different things and that was fun boring yeah. boring no <laughs> it's incredibly fucking boring Listen, someone's okay, got to do it, it was... but that is not you come on <laughs> Yeah, so so it wasn't the best, or let's say it wasn't the best fit. But I have lots of beautiful, talented friends that that work there and have done extremely well. It might not have been the best fit. So then I thought, I know that the startup community that seems cool, that seems fun. It's more up my alley. And so I decided I had a math degree. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a CFO. That sounds like a cool thing to do. And I left PwC and I and I sort of started to explore the startup world. And I was a CFO, and I was like, this is better. But this isn't it. <laughs> this isn't quite it. And then honestly, I just I went to an one acting class in London to try it out. I don't know what sort of pushed me there, but something did. I went and I was like, wow, this is terrifying. This is the most terrifying thing that I've ever done in my life. And so I started to pursue it. And I auditioned for a school here in New York called Stella Adler. Very, very famous school. For very famous school. My, our listeners who don't know that, yeah. And to my surprise, <laughs> they said, you cannot act 
at all but it seems like you might have some raw talent so we're going to give you a shot and they said that I can fly out and I could live in New York and study to be an actor and yeah this was not on my sort of roadmap so it was a big decision and a big shift but I decided to go for it and and move to New York and that was how long ago that was four years ago and you've been in a lot of different shows Blacklist being one of them it's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's a great job. And I'm sure that was an incredibly cool experience. But again, Chloe was not satisfied. Chloe's like, mm, PwC, boring, lovely people. CFO, definitely boring, probably a little lucrative, but not that exciting. I'm still looking for something more. I try acting. Surprisingly to myself, I'm really good at this. But then you're not done, right? Then you're like, actually... I'd like to actually start a wellness company. Yeah. When did that happen? And how did that spark kind of occur or get lit for you? There was a couple steps between, which was when I was an actor, I thought, hey, I have a business background. And, you know, on set, it was very clear to me that although we have this beautiful push for diverse folks on the screen and all these diverse actors and roles, and this is getting much, much better, I still noticed that everybody behind the camera was not diverse. And I thought that was quite strange. And so... I started a production company called Boycott Entertainment, and we basically focus on talent behind the camera. And I ran that for for sort of six to 12 months alongside being an actor. And this sort of sparked my entrepreneurial spirit. I thought this, you know, maybe I could do something that is focused on, you know, my wider community and really something that I'm a part of. And so I started to explore, you know, what does it mean to be a founder? And you know, all the founders I spoke to said to me, you have to find something that you love. It's one thing to build a business, but it's only really going to work and you're only going to be able to sustain it if you love it. And this is a really hard question. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this, but what what do you love? And like, also, does the thing that you love make sense? Do we need it in the world? I heard Ashton Kutcher say that and I thought it was a really good thing to for founders to think about. Do you love it? Is it marketable and possible, right? Is it something that we that we can build, but also is it something that people need, right? Is it going to make the world a better place? And if you take those three things and look in the center of it, that should be your thing. But I could not figure out what that was. <laughs> I just couldn't figure it out. And then I met Henrik Wordlin. He's the co-founder of BarkBox. And he also runs a really quirky, unique sort of incubation. I shouldn't call it incubation because it's really it's not a studio, but it's just a bunch of cool entrepreneurs sort of sat in a room and being like, what should we do next is the general vibe. And so I met him and he has since become a great, great friend and mentor of mine. But he sort of helped me figure out what was in that center of these things for me. He helped me sort of look within my own life. And this is how my wellness business started because, you know, I'm non-binary for the listeners that don't know. And so I wear a chest binder. A chest binder is a bra-like product that compresses the breast tissue, right? So it combats gender dysphoria put bluntly, it just makes me feel good in my skin, right? As I'm walking down the street, I feel like myself, I feel confident, which is all great. The problem with it is, <laughs> and I brought this up to Henrik, I was like, this seems like a small product, but I, I wear this product to feel like myself, to feel like my authentic self, yet I, I'm very uncomfortable and actually I can't really breathe in it, right? It's a bit of a corset for the chest. And what's strange is that I have like one or two options for this product, whereas, you know, my wife, who is a cis woman, you know, I can't tell you how many bras that she <laughs> that she has or that she has access to. 
And I was like, well, this doesn't seem quite right. So I was like, this might not be a huge business, but I think the center of those three things, this is a community I care about. Selfishly, it's a problem that I want to solve for myself. And I think that it would, you know, make the world a better place. Could it be a humongous business? I don't know, but let's let's check it out. And so we went down the road of just creating a new chess binder. And and what was wonderful was my main advice to any founder would be, and people say this all the time, but know your customer, right? But but what does it really mean to know your customer? And I spoke to many, many, many people in the community, right? Hundreds of people that wear chess binders and had conversations with them that were very, very frank. I was also coming from a place where I didn't really have a business at that stage. So I had no, you know, I was not like trying to guide anyone's answers towards <laughs> any sort of thing that helped me. And I was just saying, hey, like, is your chess binder, you know, rubbish? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it's pretty bad. And I was like, cool, I'm going to try and make a new one. What do we need to make it good? And people were like, well, we need this, we need that. And we went through all this stuff. And then on the route to making the chess binder, I happened to be like, well, what else is rubbish? Because for me, I feel like I can't find when I look at this industry and feeling well in my body and my mind and even financially well and socially well and demographically well, you know, I can't find things that really speak to my identity. And do you feel the same? And we had these amazing conversations with customers. And I just realized that every, if you think about waking up in the morning and everything you do until you go to bed, everything is streamlined, you know, products and service wise for heteronormativity and for a lot of the time, especially in the wellness space, privilege, right? And given that I don't sit in these buckets, it was really tough for me to identify with this word wellness and actually have the products and services that I need just to make my myself feel, you know, baseline well. And I'm not even talking like top of my game, right? But just just what are the things that make me feel good? Do I have access to them? No, right? And so this sort of spiraled into this beautiful community that we have mm-hmm. of people that helped me understand you know the the problems that they were trying to solve and and have been really vulnerable and intimate with us as a business to help us understand what we need to make and what will be most impactful for the community and so we just dug our heels in and just carried on down that road and and here we are it's so interesting hearing you speak it's like if companies like third love can introduce half sizes for bras Right, which is awesome, by the way, which is awesome. I need it. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I say that as, of course, in a complimentary, really kind of genius way. Like, why did it take so long? In the same vein, I think you raise a good point, which is like, until I read about you, I actually fully admit I didn't know what a chest binder was. I understood immediately because the way it's described is exactly what it is, but the way you describe it and and bring it into the human experience is very powerful. And I, I guess my question is, if cis white gender guy like me tried to create that business, I would likely fail, right? Now I could support you just like, is it Henry? Henrik, is that Henrik. His name? Yeah. Henrik, Henrik. Did you say BarkBox? Yes. Oh, love BarkBox. It's the awesome. only problem is now every time freaking delivery comes to the house, the dogs think, because <laughs> they just see a box, <laughs> they don't know, right? Like it's so fine, like, it's fine. I know, no, no, it's, it's something else. So I think it's incredible that, you know, he provided that mentorship and allyship. Do you think he could have created this business on his own? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Probably not. Not because he's not a genius, but because I think it's tough to create a business around something that you don't live every day, you know? And you can't experience yourself. A hundred percent. You know, when we were, when we were making the chess binder, I got to 
be there as one of the fit models and have it on my body and be like, no, this doesn't feel great when I move in this way, you know, this happens to my ribs or whatever it is. You know, it's really hard to do that and get into that sort of mold and that and that role if, if you're not wearing it, if you're not experiencing the issue. When did you launch? Officially June, July. Oh, wow. But we've been servicing, you know, chatting to customers, building our community. And, you know, it took some real time to create this product because it's a utility product, right? Which I think people maybe don't realize too, as is a bra, right? It's serving a purpose. It's not, you know, a cool t-shirt with a design on. And so this, it's really intricate. And we got some amazing designers and help for that because that's certainly not my area of expertise. But yeah, it took some time to create the, the what I would describe as the perfect chest binder. Don't quote me, ask the customers, but <laughs> but I believe right. I, I wear it every day, all day and have absolutely no issue and it feels fantastic. This might sound like a silly question, but I feel like I'm a surrogate sometimes for our listeners who are thinking silly things or ridiculous things. But do you think companies like Spanx are missing a huge opportunity just from a pure commercial standpoint to take their knowledge of bodies, right? And shape and culture and bring it to a more diverse community? You know, I think it's tough. In their defense, I think it's tough, right? I think that you have to have an ever evolving business as the consumer changes, right? As the the majority, let's say, changes over time to really understand that customer, right? And their needs. And I think that's sort of, if I can boldly say, our competitive advantage that not only are we the customer, but they trust us. They know that we have, you know, their best interests at heart. And so that trust and intimacy, I believe, projects into the product that they need. And if you don't have that, I just think it's really, really hard for Spanx, for example, to sit there and say, okay, next generation customer needs a chest binder. Great. What do we do? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they might be able to make it. And, and I'm sure they could have made it much quicker than me. But would the customer feel loved? And would they feel seen by Spanx? I don't know. Maybe eventually, maybe it's a possibility. But I think these companies are certainly, in my in my humble opinion, missing market, right? They're missing customers that seem niche but actually are the future in my mind and you know I spouted this a lot to investors when we we're talking because to your point a lot of my investors are cis straight males did not know what a chess binder was so this is a very different pitch to most entrepreneurs <laughs> that they're having because I have to start from the beginning and say like okay this is the customer this is who they are these are the products they use this is what's available on the market you know but I think there's a real education piece of understanding that actually Right now, over 40% of Gen Z, for example, identify as neutral on the spectrum between masculinity and femininity. This is a huge stat, right? This is humongous, right? Also, a third of them identify as queer. And I think this word has evolved over time, but it really just means, you know, expansive in their identity and fluid in their their way of being. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, when I grew up, if you use the word queer, it was highly derogatory. It has definitely evolved. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, I think that's cool. You know, we've grabbed onto the word and we've evolved it and used it in a different way. It made it something that's empowering. A hundred percent. And not to the same extent, but we're trying to do that with the word wellness, right? Because honestly, when we interview customers and I started being like, what do you think of the wellness space, right? They were like, oh my gosh, this is the word. They hate the word. They hate the industry. They hate the space. And I was like, okay, but the word wellness really is just derived from an active pursuit of feeling good every day. Everyone deserves to to push towards that goal, right? So I said, rather than redefine it and 
or rename it, right? I have an amazing director of brand. I was like, what can we call it, right? If we don't call it wellness, I sort of figured out that actually, no, we can just take it and we can just redefine it. We can change it and we can make it fit to who we are. You might find this odd. I think about the word wellness often. I'm someone who I feel like is on the edge of it, both physically and spiritually and mentally in many different ways. This is not about me. (laughs) At the same time, though, I really, not to be like precious about this, but I really love the word well-being because it has being in it. And I think the issue I have with wellness as a word is that it's become, like to your point, very commercial. It feels disproportionately kind of shallow or simple or spa-like. When well-being puts the human in the center and we're talking about humans, and I think we, we forget that we're not just products or vessels, but we have souls, we have spirits and spirituality, you know? So, and I'm not trying to, you know, go against your brand director. I just, I (laughs) I really try to focus on well-being now more than anything. And I think that's important. I absolutely agree with you. And how we define queer wellness, right? As well as sort of coining it as, is certainly well-being, right? It's at the center of the human and it's all encompassing. That's what I really wanted to, to get out there is that, you know, yes, if my binder feels great, and I feel physically great, that's awesome. But it's just one aspect of who I am. It's just one aspect of Chloe. To your point, you know, what is my sort of spiritual wellness journey look like? What does my, you know, do I need to meditate? Is that for me? Do I have a close group of friends, family, chosen family around me that makes me feel safe? Do I have a roof over my head, a, a place, a virtual home or otherwise, you know, that makes me feel seen and in a good in a good way? And yeah, that is certainly what we're driving towards, just the what does the human need day to day to feel the best version of yourself? And I, I do love the way you, in the spirit of redefining that, everything you just said, you also talk about these nine dimensions of wellness, right? It's a lot of words, but they're all very important. Embody, nourish, transcend, dwell, cultivate, bloom, connect, share, belong. Is that really the North Star for whatever products and thought leadership and content you put in the market for them? It is. North Star, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think it's more about what are the pillars of our business? I sort of had to map it out in terms of if I want to serve the customer in an all-encompassing way, it's hard to say, I'm just going to make you feel good, right, with products and services and community. It's like, what does that really mean? And so we spend a lot of time thinking about what other dimensions of the body and mind and spirit and environment that would make someone feel well. And then let's delve into those and ask customers what they need in that space. And so it was, it was twofold. It was to, as you say, it's our mission, it's our vision, but it's also a way to separate out our sort of roadmap. And so the customers can dive in with us really deeply and say, okay, embody, you know, what does that mean to you? when you think about your physical self, you know, how important is the shirt that you're wearing? What do you need to move your body every day to feel good? What, you know, and we, we did a few focus sessions with folks from the community around each of these dimensions to really get a sense of one, have I mapped out the right dimensions, right? Are we missing anything? Have we, do we have too many in there to speak to this person? And then on a more granular level, you know, what do they need in these dimensions and what's missing in the ecosystem right now? Earlier on, you touched on being in front of the camera in your early days in acting and looking behind the camera and noticing it was not a very diverse 
infrastructure or system. And if I'm thinking correctly in my math, your math actually much better than mine is right. This is probably during the Oscars. So white time as well, right? Had to be right. Cause that was like four or five years ago ish. And now you have the Golden Globes and the Academy working harder, although they're not there yet, to be far more diverse than ever before. What was it like to be one of the few non-binary people of color in the acting community? What was that journey like? And you're still in that journey. And I recognize that incrementally, the industry is getting better, but there's still very few non-binary actors, especially actors of color, who you see in mainstream content right now. I think one of the, probably the first kind of mainstream one was the the actor that plays Taylor Correct. on Billions. <laughs> and I, I've always felt, and I'm curious what you think as well. I'm sorry, it's like a multi-part question, one about your journey, but also how important is you know content and content creation and being more inclusive? I mean, awesome. We often talk about Will and Grace and how that was a major moment. Everybody does, you know, for, you know, marriage equality. So anyway, I threw a lot at you. So no, I think, well, they're all fantastic points. Absolutely. Firstly, and not to put down my acting school in any way, but I want to be as honest as possible, is that it's, I think it's hard, you know, when I started acting school, I was like, this is who I am. I'm non-binary. And we were doing Shakespeare and very traditional plays and it just didn't, my gender just didn't fit into these worlds, right? And so we had the situation where, you know, I'd say to my acting teacher, well, you know, I certainly don't want to play Juliet, you know, I'd much rather play Romeo and I think I'd do a damn good job at it. <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, I don't know that you can do that and you need to get used to wearing a skirt because, you know, you might have to do that in traditional plays or if you do Shakespeare and and this probably sounds a little a little crazy now but this is only sort of four four or five years ago and I really really struggled with that because I started to think you know I love this craft I love storytelling to your point I think it's so important that we see representation in that but where do I fit right I just don't I don't feel very confident in who I am as it pertains to the acting industry given my experiences at school and then I left school and I had a little bit of a success first in in commercials, which was a very interesting journey. Not quite what you imagine, I think, when you're... <laughs> Any regrettable moments there or no? That you no, want to talk you know, about? <laughs> because they're all quite cool. I did an Adidas commercial and a Google commercial. So like they're pretty cool brands. And they let me be myself, right? Which was cool. And I think it's because these brands actually are at the forefront of this stuff, right? They They do understand the customer and they do... They're starting to really get a handle on, you know, real fluidity and expansion. And they were they were doing that four years ago. Yeah. And by the way, Adidas sounds much better than Adidas. So thank you for that. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I think that's right. I don't know. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> I think, right, because it's German now, is it? Yeah, no, no, you guys say it correctly. The Brits and everyone outside the States say it correctly. We say it in the wrong way. <laughs> Adidas, right? Okay. Adidas, right? Adidas. That sounds well, I want to fit Adidas. in. I want to fit yeah. in. So let me, I'm going to. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that was cool because that was like, oh, I get to like completely be myself, you know, stand here and like play with this, you know, Google phone or whatever and, and say some stuff and it's great. And then as I sort of, I got an agent and I started auditioning for things, I still had this real, real disconnect between, you know, all my roles were for women of color which is 
fine to a certain extent especially when I first started out I was sort of happy to be honest to get whatever I would get right whatever audition I could get but some of the roles were really tough for me especially in the auditions because they were so gendered right we have this issue I think in content where even if we're pushing diversity and even if we have diverse characters and they need to be to a certain extent but they're they're often stereotyped in such an extreme way and so I had this thing you know I'm not just I'm not playing a multifaceted woman you know, that has, you know, all these complexities about her. I'm playing, you know, a very gendered stereotype of of a woman in this role. Right. And so that was really tough. But then I got a sort of my first big break, let's say, as one might call it. And I got cast in a film where I got to play a non-binary character. And this was sort of three years ago now. And there were some amazing actors in it. Actually, four of us play the lead role. And that character goes on this journey of their identity and their gender throughout the film. And we sort of switch out as they sort of go through these phases of their transition. And there were some really amazingly talented big actors in there. And it was this first experience that I, to be honest, it was a very emotional role for me because it was it was almost a little too close to my heart, right? I, I think one of my lines and it was, you know, I, I have to say to my partner, my boyfriend in the film, you know, oh, I, I'm struggling with my gender. I don't know what my gender is I you know I don't know who I am and I remember just thinking wow like this is this is so special to be able to do something that I love and have it so close to my identity and for people to be able to see that right and that was three years ago it took some real time to come out in the pandemic and all these things but it's slowly starting to come to market now it's just sold in in Australia and I've been getting this array of feedback from people to be honest mostly outside the community and to your point you know very long-winded way but to dip all the way around to your point how important is representation extremely right not, not just for the person that is being represented but for all the potential allies I, I will call them that just don't know anything about this stuff and that film is a real testament to that push right I took my my cis straight male friend to see the premiere with me and it's a very beautiful film you know I I certainly think it's a great film but to me I'm like yeah like it all makes sense I'm watching it I'm like this is you know fine and everyone knows about non-binary people and struggles and it is what it is but then we get out the theater and he's crying and he just can't he can't believe and he apologizes to me which I said there's no need to apologize but he said I just didn't fully understand the journey and the struggle that these folks go on and I'm just so sorry that I just didn't that I didn't have a real understanding of it. And it really hit me then. I just thought nothing is more powerful than content if it's done right and if it's done respectfully. And I, I want to be a part of that more, you know. So you don't have to answer this, but it's totally up to you. Anytime someone says that, it's like a terrible thing. You're like, wait, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen? But you mentioned respectfully. And, you know, there's been, this is kind of a third rail issue, right, topic. There's been a lot of discussion still about Chappelle and his latest (laughs) did you watch it honestly i didn't because it came out that says everything that's the truth i didn't watch it because i saw the backlash of it i saw the media i saw my friends and i just thought why why would i you know i feel like i need to watch it again i struggle with the fact that i think he is a genius the way his mind works it is just Nothing I can totally comprehend, right? But I was very uncomfortable sitting there watching it. And then I was uncomfortable laughing at things I shouldn't be laughing at 
And then I was thinking, you know, it's comedy. And he's actually talking to people who, for the most part, are pretty left, like me. Well, I'm very left. And as I get older, I become more and more left. But can it still be harmful? And I think where I've netted out is that comedians can go too far. And, and, I, and I love comedy. I don't think it can be an excuse for hate either, or to be able to say hateful things. And I think he went too far. And I never thought I'd ever say that about him. Because again, I do think he's extraordinarily talented. And he's done a lot. But you should watch it. You should reconsider watching it. And I am curious what you think. It is hard. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say that it's really, really, really hard because, and I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there as you were talking, that I think one has to ask themselves, when we're looking for the line of, is this too far or not? I think one has to ask themselves what the consequences are, right? And I think for this specific subject, you know, not to take this podcast into a dark term, but there are still, you know, trans women being murdered daily, right? And I think especially in New York and especially in the black community. So given that we know that fact, I think you have to have a responsibility as someone that is black and that is talking about this stuff and making jokes about it. You have to know that you have a responsibility that people are going to listen to you and what you say matters. And I believe it's directly attributable to those hate crimes. So that's where for me, it's too far. If that wasn't happening, and we were all living in this beautiful, merry world of like making good fun of each other, right? I see this a little bit like, you know, like Family Guy, right? <laughs> family Guy makes fun of everybody. Sometimes the jokes are too far. I mostly find it pretty hilarious. But it, across the board, you know, they're not doing anything that is too, that I believe is impacting someone in a very, very negative way. And that's my line, my personal line, I think. But even that is subjective, I suppose. But I think while, while we're still in this, time where these terrible crimes are happening we have to we have to hold people responsible and it's selfish that I haven't watched it I to be honest because I just I can't bring myself to you know I don't know if I have the stat right but I think I'm pretty close sadly that I believe the average life expectancy of a a black trans person is early 30s my gosh yes doesn't surprise me so how can we make jokes you know that's what I'm saying that's where I feel like and I think a lot of things are funny. That's just the way I am. And I I recognize humor as a little bit of a way for me to cope with a lot of very serious things as well. A lot of us do, yeah, right? That's very true. But that's where I think, that's where I felt not even discomfort, but a little bit of disgust, if I'm totally honest. Because knowing that, and that's a, I'm sure he knew that, and he certainly knows it now. How could you, you know, double down on an issue that you were already called out on years earlier? Right. So, right. Right. And the reason why I ask is because it's important for us to continue to talk about it, not to keep him in the press, but to keep these issues top of mind. That's the reason why I raise it when it makes sense to do that. That makes sense. So I appreciate your honesty and talking about it. Absolutely. So I, I have one more, I think, very important question. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to bring us down or create a less than happy space. What is your advice for people who? are dealing with gender dysphoria and reflecting back on what you've learned, what you continue to learn, because this is not something that is, you know, this is a journey, right? What is your advice for others? Wow. Could be the hardest question I've ever got. (laughs) 
why is it so hard? Because it feels so tough because it's such an individual journey, you know, because it's such a personal thing. For me, so I could maybe I'll just speak from my experience. I couldn't sort of come to terms with all these aspects of my identity until I really started to like look within and try and understand myself. I think you can only do that with a safe space around you and people that love you and, you know, love you unconditionally. And so there comes already from the start a little bit of privilege to even try to start exploring these things in a safe way. And I'm very aware of that. So certainly there's that to start with. And then secondly, if you are lucky enough to be in that position where you can where you can really be introspective, I think it's about really listening to yourself, which I've only been able to do in sort of recent years. You know, what do we really need, right? What do we what makes us feel comfortable? And I think that really helps the journey along, right? To and and something I learned in acting school, which is awareness without judgment, which I, I live with every day. And I think about that for myself, right? I often judge myself. And I think if you if you think about what you need, you really listen to your body and your mind and don't judge yourself, you're gonna get to a place, I believe, where you understand your identity. And then I hope that you can find ways to curb gender dysphoria with products and services and for some people gender affirming surgery but I, I certainly think it's a long and, and a complex road and so people should just be be patient with themselves don't judge yourself and talk to people that have been through it I think that's a that's a good one I didn't get to do that because I didn't know anyone and that feels amazing to be able to do that now with our community do you feel like your your friends who are not part of the community but are your friends do you feel like, I'm sure they're listening. <laughs> do you feel like they've been supportive? <laughs> do, you, do you feel like, because I do feel like you also have, in order to have the courage to act for yourself and find your own agency, you also need to surround yourself with allies and people who love you for who you are and who, who are willing to help you through this, right? So you can be whole and you can pursue well-being. Yep. My friends, yeah, I think that they, look, they've been absolutely supportive. The people that love me have been supportive. I think it can be hard, family included in this. My family certainly love me. Do they fully, fully understand? You know, I think that that's a different thing, but I don't know. Does one need understanding for unconditional love and acceptance? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I certainly, at least in my later years, feel very, very supported. I also have a wonderful wife that is incredible. And I think that is very helpful. She allows me to fully be who I am and allows, as you say, the journey of that. Because I think if we all tap into our journey, if you're whether you're gender non-conforming or not, everyone is going through an identity journey throughout their whole life. And how often do we let ourselves evolve through that journey? I think the queer community do, if you don't mind me saying, a little bit of a better job at it, right? We we allow ourselves to move and change as we grow because that's part of the community. It's this whole, you know, who am I? Okay, this is a little dated now, but who am I? I'm going to come out. This is who I am. I'm going to show everyone who I am. I'm going to be comfortable with it. You know, I'm going to keep sort of evolving and changing. And that's what our customer too, because they're Gen Z and like it or not, they do a much better job than <laughs> than my generation and, and I think yours, which is, you know, they oh yeah, they are able to say, This is who I am and I don't care. You know, I don't care if you're okay with it. And guess what? I have the confidence to do it because I see it everywhere. I see it on TikTok, I see it on Instagram, and people are, are, are finding 
those unique parts about themselves and bringing them to life and walking down the street in New York with them. And I, I just think it's awesome. And again, I don't mean to parse words or your words, but I think it's provocative when you, when you do acknowledge that understanding one might not be possible, but also it might not be the point of arrival. It might not be the end goal. Like, so I have two siblings who are queer. They're older. I'm, I was definitely unplanned. I'm the, the youngest of four. They're six and eight years older than I am. And if I think about it, do I fully understand their journey and kind of what they have gone through to be well and to find happiness and to be who they are? Probably not because I'm not them, but do I respect it? Am I aware? Do I love them unconditionally regardless? A hundred percent, you know? I feel blessed to have them in my life because they've given me a perspective that most, you know, cis white <laughs> gender male straight guys who are 51 years old don't have, right? And this is a very selfish thing to say, but I actually feel like, you know, they have helped me very, very early on. So when we have these conversations, I'm like, what's the big deal? Because it, it doesn't seem like a huge deal to me. At the same time, there's a lot of education and knowledge and content that needs to be created to bring everybody along. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you're doing. You are an incredible person. What our listeners did not hear me say is you have like this this vibe about you, this happiness, warmth about you that you either have or you don't have. It's nothing you can create. And I'm sure people have said that to you before. I'm going to say that to you now. And it's just incredible to meet you. And you are, you are a force for good. You are a servant leader. And you're also helping so many people that you probably don't even realize that you're touching. And it's just such a pleasure and such an honor to have you on the show. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quipkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.